In the holy name of Jesus, amen. What is the worst thing that you have ever done in your life? As you sit back today in your nice cushy pew, what is it? What is the absolute worst thing that you have ever done in however long you have lived? What started it? What continues it? You don't have to tell anybody. <laughs> Lent is here. Lent is a time where we focus not on ourselves and what we're giving up or anything else like that. Lent is a time where we examine who we are in the sight of God and of one another. There is a word in the Greek language for sin. Harmatia. Excuse me, hamartia. Even I can't pronounce it. Hamartia. That's the word for sin in the Greek text. Now when you think of sin, when you think of hamartia, you might think of the big, grand, massive things that people are wound up in. Big sins. Things that people do that are public for everybody to see and for us to look at and say, Shame, shame, shame. But that word, homartia, really means this. One little misstep. One little misstep. One little misstep sets things into motion that ends up in tragedy. One little snowball can cause an avalanche that could bury a town and its people. James talks about your mouth as being a small little fire that can set forests ablaze. One little thing. So, where does it begin? That big thing I asked you about, the worst thing, where does it begin? What is the root of that evil, of that sin? And how do we know it? It's funny because you can go outside of the church and ask people, well, what is right and what is wrong? And everybody will say usually certain things, depending on maybe where they're at politically or how they identify or whatever else. But God tells us by his word that the law that he has written is on our hearts. And that law speaks to our conscience. And our consciences can be terrorized and burdened and be full of shame and guilt with those things that you just heard me ask about. That's all that we look to. It's not a personal opinion. It's God's objective law. We hear about this in Genesis 1 today. God gives this massive, beautiful garden with all of the animals and every wild thing in their midst. He gives them everything possible, but says, in the midst of everything, there is one little, tiny law. Do not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and 
evil. One thing, Adam and Eve, just one little thing, everything else you can have. You can climb on that tree. You can sit under that tree. You can be fruitful and multiply. It is all yours, just that one little thing. And I know this sounds a little bit silly. Talking snakes, forbidden fruit, people cavorting around completely naked and carefree. But one little bite, one little sharing of that fruit, and now you and I have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You and I are going to die. That's how it is with us. One little misstep falls into the giant tragedy of all of our sins. The key is this. As you look at those great big things or those little things, as people like to say, not usually in the right context, the devil is in the details. It's true. The devil does not come in with horns and red spandex and a pitchfork and spewing fire and blood everywhere because you would look at that and say, I am not going to interact with that. The scriptures talk about the devil as a star of light, but also the father of lies. The devil works through little things. You just said it a few moments ago. I have sinned against you in thoughts. One little thought leading to my words. One little word eventually to my deeds. Think about this in terms of how you look at each other. That guy there annoys me. Not really. Yeah. That's in my head. And then I tell you, just as I did now, that guy annoys me. And then it gets even worse because that guy now I will avoid. I will avoid at all costs and I will continue to ramp up why you should avoid and be annoyed with him as well. One little small app. Give me one little small app on my phone. One little website, that's all it is. One little lie. One little insert whatever. One little misstep. Hamartia. Peter reminds us, as you live in this world, be sober mindful, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. God said to the devil today after Adam and Eve fell, On your belly you shall go, and the dust shall be your food. Remember, as we said on Ash Wednesday, you are dust, and the dust you shall return. What does this mean? You are dust. You are food for the devil. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your fellow Christians throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Lions are silent 
They look for weakness. They usually prey in darkness. Snakes have a way of finding their ways into the tiniest little bits of opening. Peter says, resist the devil. We hear in Genesis today about him being a serpent. Peter says he's a lion. Resist temptation and sin. But notice what else Peter says. You will suffer because of that. Who wants that? I'm not going to listen to what you say about him. I'm not going to follow the same app or website that all of my friends are on. I'm not going to turn on that news channel that causes even more division. We sin, hamartia, little things, and then we rationalize it. You don't know what it's like to be in my shoes to work with him. You don't know what it's like to go to school with these students or to go to work with these co-workers. You don't know what my husband or wife has said or done. You don't know what my kids have done. We rationalize it. Think of Eve. Everything was good in God's creation. This fruit was beautiful. It was wise. It was tasty. It would give them the ability to open their eyes and be like, God, what's so wrong with that? One little bite. And you and I are buried in sin and death. Even when we doubt God's word, Eve doubted God's word. We doubt it that maybe it's just not enough. Did God really say this is what true love is or this is how you should live your life? That's why we need Jesus. Jesus came to put sin to death in the flesh. That's why we heard on the first Sunday in Lent that he was tempted in every way as you are, yet without sin. Jesus does not come along into the world and say, here I am, follow my example, I'm great, and you can't be like me. He does say that, but he also says, you cannot live the life that I live, so I will live it for you. And he does. He was tempted, just like you and me. Immediately after his baptism, he's thrust out into the wilderness. He does Lent. For 40 days and 40 nights, he ate nothing. He does the full story just like you, just like Israel. And here comes the devil. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to be loaves of bread. One little stone, Jesus. One little loaf. What's the big deal? That's not how God works. God creates. Do you realize that if he changed the stone into bread, he would be destroying his creation? Even the stones cry out for him. They are precious to him. They are part of his good creation. He multiplies by what is given to us, bread and fish, body and blood through the bread and wine. That's how he works. And that's his way of creating. The devil wants to destroy creation. That's what he has done for us. He's twisted and perverted everything we see in creation. The devil, though, please know this. He cannot create anything. He can only twist, pervert, and destroy what God has already done. If you are the Son of God, jump, Jesus. 
Take a little hop. Throw yourself down because the angels will catch you. God promised no harm that would come to you. It's a test. Jesus is tested even to see if God's word is true. See if it truly works, Jesus. And how many of us have been that way? When our rear end is up against the wall, we pray and we pray and we read and we have devotions and we pray some more. And there's silence. We look at the word of God as it's like magic or something. Deliver me from this and God says nothing. Maybe he gives you a way out. Maybe you don't realize it until you've gone through it. The devil knows the Bible better than you do, better than I do. He's quoting the Bible to Jesus today verbatim. But what he quotes today was your intro psalm for today. He says, jump Jesus, the angels will catch you, but you notice what he didn't quote, and it's in your intro psalm. For you will tread on the lion and the adder and the young lion and serpent. You will trample underfoot. You will crush their head. He's not going to say that. He knows what Jesus is up to. So he twists and perverts God's word to let you and I hear what we want to hear. Can't talk about that, Pastor. Can't talk about this being a sin or that being right or wrong or whatever else. Jesus, look at the top of the pinnacle of the temple. Just look at it and kneel down to me. One little kneel. That's all it will take. Jesus says, be gone. Jesus came not to be lifted up on the pinnacle of the temple, but on the cross outside of Jerusalem where the temple was. And by him being lifted up, death is swallowed up in his life. No jump from the pinnacle, rather being nailed to the cross for your little sins and your big sins and for everything in between to crush the serpent's head. After all, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And it is given to him, not to rule and lord and master it over us. It is given to him in heaven and on earth to die for it and to rise for it. And to tell you, take heart, I have overcome the world. Three temptations Jesus encountered. All three resisted not with angelic armies or shafts of light or lasers from his eyes, but with the word of God. Nothing but the word of God. You just sang it from Luther's hymn a few minutes ago. One little word can fell the devil. One little word made flesh. One little bite of destructive sin undone by one little death of one seemingly little man who could not save, him, save himself, but given for you to embrace you in his love and his mercy.
every sin atoned for. That little snowball or that avalanche, that thing that you're still thinking about here at the beginning or that thing that you don't even know that you've said or done. Everything is redeemed by him. So confess it. Get it out in the open. Bring the darkness to the light of Christ. Luther says it this way. I love this. I did not ever hear this from him until this week. Either sin is on you and that sin is lying around your neck and your shoulders or it is lying on Christ and his neck who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That big thing, that really big bad thing that nobody knows, you want to hang on to it? Probably not. Lay it on the Lamb of God. Luther says this, though, as well, about how we view one another and their sins. He says, forgiveness is yours. Forgive one another, not counting others' sins or against you. Luther says, is your brother a sinner? Then cover his sin and pray for him. Don't publish his sins. If you do that, you are not a child of your merciful and gracious Father. It is true. We cannot show His grace and His mercy to our neighbor as God has to us, but it is the true work of the devil that we do the very opposite of grace and mercy, which is a sure sign that God's grace and mercy is not in you. Paul puts it even better. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, that is, each other, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places, things you cannot see. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough cares of its own. Sufficient is the evil you face today. And it's not just them versus us. It's not us saying, well, the devil made me do it. The evil that we are is what we must come to grips with first. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darkness darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. You know what he's talking about there? You're going to war. But as one of our hymns, I love it, I don't remember the number, simply says, the Son of God goes forth to war for you. 
He has gone before you. He is behind you. He is with you all the days of your life, not to be rainbows and puppy dogs and sparkling things, but to have his cross and his resurrection and his proclamation, devil be damned. They are mine. You cannot have them. No matter what they've done, big or even hamartia, one little misstep, they are mine. They are baptized. They're given my name. They are my children. And I am with them. And no one, even you, devil, will not snatch them out of my hand. But notice what Paul says as you go to war. He does not say... Take charge. Charge! He says, stand. Just stand in these things. Stand in what you've been given today. The word, the forgiveness, the grace, and the mercy. Be a community of fellow broken people. Fellow sinners. After all, if you think about it, that's usually kind of what people who are addicted things do. They gather with other people who are addicted to things, bad things, things that the world looks at and says, tisk, 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 but they stand with one another to be a community, to forgive, to strengthen, and to help in their need. You're not in this alone. You do not go about this alone. These people here today are not just simply numbers or members even, they are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Every one of us has had a big, giant thing you have thought about in your mind. And if you haven't had that, then you must be God. We stand. We stand in the word made flesh given to us that it is now no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. You are one with him and one with one another forgiven, and we pray, lead us not into temptation, but as the original says as well, deliver us from the evil one. So where does this leave you? What's that worst thing you've ever done? Flint simply says, reflect. As where our theme is, confession and absolution, confess. Confess it in here. Confess it with me privately if you want. Repent to be forgiven, but also know what you face each and every day. You face darkness. You face demons. If you don't believe that, then look at the scriptures. Jesus himself faced demons. You face the devil, and so does everybody else. You will be tempted like Jesus was tempted. You will be vulnerable. The devil knows your weakness. And you may feel alone, but you're not. Jesus was alone in his temptation, but you are not. Jesus goes with you. He's gone before you. We are in this together. He conquered sin, death, and the devil. And by that one little word, you conquer them too. Christ alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen.